Let me, let me just um, track us on for a bit. What's great is actually we, we've progressed. Chapter 8 was very, very long in the book of Luke together. Uh, and then we jumped into chapter 9 just last week. Uh, but I felt like Tom didn't do it justice, so I just had to, you know. So I'm re-preaching his whole thing. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, but, but I, I do think that there's something important uh, in terms of us jumping and transitioning into chapter 9 that I felt like we needed to do a bit of a backdrop. And I think this will just help us also read and go through chapter 9 together, just really considering the overarching narrative around chapter 9 itself. And so, as we look at this, uh, I just want to go into our first slide, just to show you kind of the, the, whole, the whole thing, the whole picture. Please, just the next slide. So basically what we have here is basically the whole of chapter 9, or actually most of chapter 9, uh, panned out. And the thing is, what, what I'd love to title this kind of section of chapter 9 is the Savior's Pattern. So Tom highlighted to us just last week that actually there's something kind of happening in what Jesus is doing. There's a sort of a handover uh, that he's doing to, to his disciples in this moment. Uh, if you remember and you track back uh, with us from a couple of uh, weeks past last year, that actually we saw Jesus starting to demonstrate what his kingdom is about from chapter 3 to chapter 8. Then we move along to chapter 6, the moment where we saw him appoint the 12 disciples as apostles, right? Uh, meaning the ones who are sent out. But actually at that very moment, he hadn't sent them out to go do anything yet. And last week, we hit that pivotal moment when we see him send them out, but actually says to them, guys, you're not going to take any extra bags. You're not going to take any extra clothing. When you get there, you're not going to be picky and choosy, but the ones who accept you and allow you to, to, to live with them, you'll allow them. And there's a reason why Jesus actually is doing this. The thing that, 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 that hit me hard when I was thinking about this is this idea that actually Jesus is trying to show them something of a pattern of what his mission is about and how it pans out. And so from verse 1 to 9, which is last week's sermon, we see the disciples are commissioned to go serve and they're given power and authority and guess what? They succeed because the, the verses that come after 7 to 9 tell us that actually that through their preaching, and hearing of Jesus, the, 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 the governor of the place starts to wonder who this person is. So they've shaken up the place, as Tom said, so much that they were now spoken of. But then comes the section that we are in today, which is 10 to 17, and we see uh, these guys actually being transitioned from the place where they, were, where they left for mission. Now they're back with Jesus, and they fail a bit. I'll explain why. You see, this pattern here is a sandwich. Uh, think about bread, bread, lettuce, lettuce, and some sachet or they maybe a beef, beef, beef patty of sorts. And really, the central theme of this section is this. Take up your cross. These guys have ex only experienced one aspect of the Savior's pattern. The power, the might, the ability to bring healing to people, the ability to cast out demons, the ability to perform the miraculous, Right? It's all awesome, and they've done it, in fact. They succeeded. But now comes today's story where they fail one of the aspects of God's pattern 
in terms of the mission of the gospel. And it's sad because actually it's sandwiched this way, that actually there's a point in time later, I'm going to preach about this, where they fail again. They actually strive and argue for who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. They don't want others to partake when they see others also being baptized. It's, it's a mess. But in between that, there's something amazing that happens. Actually, Jesus is, is, is shown in his identity, in his glory, in his authority, in ways uh, that, that's beyond our measure. In fact, what happens here is Peter says, as you've been preaching and as people have been seeing, people are saying that you are the Messiah. You are the one who's high lifted up and glorious. And in fact, Jesus then says, okay, wait a, long, wait a minute. It's not just about that. It's about the fact that actually there's an impending death coming. And Jesus does it again later, right? <laughs> in fact, after he's been transfigured on the mount and his disciples see him, he actually um, demonstrates his power again by healing someone uh, uh, from, 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 from an unclean spirit. But then he does it again. He warns them. Guys, it's not just about the power and the glory and the amazing stuff that we do to illustrate what God is about to do, but it's also about the sacrifice, that his impending death he speaks about again. And he's trying to teach his disciples something. Although he's displayed all this glorious stuff that he's done before, he's calling them to this. He's calling them for themselves to also take up their cross. For they too to realize that this is going to cost you. He's already done it. Remember, Tom told us last week that he sent them off to mission. And he told them, don't take anything extra. It's not about living glamorously. It's about taking the message of the gospel to the people in need. And so we continue from that place into today's section. Today's section actually is not something that you do not know. Today's section of scripture is about Jesus feeding the 5,000. There's something tough about preaching uh, a sermon that has been preached for, for, for years and years. And some of you heard it when you were babies and you were hearing it when you were teenagers and now you're hearing it as adults. It's so hard because then the standard will always be the best preacher who's done this section before. So, but there's something that I want to highlight just from even talking about this pattern here. Is that here the apostles are called, empowered, they carry authority, they are unable to deal yet with what's in front of them. They actually failed one of the tests. And actually, actually what, I, what I like to say is actually school is not over. You could say that they were sent out because now they were accomplished. Now they knew what they were doing. In fact, they did it. Therefore, they were done. But the reality is you and I, friends, are like them. Do, do we sometimes think that to ourselves that we're mature enough in our faith? Do we sometimes think that we're so knowledgeable that we don't need to learn anymore? Do we think that we are so complete in our learning that we just need to stop? Or so focused on our agenda that we miss the object lesson that Jesus is trying to teach? Are we too grown to hear from Jesus? Th those are the questions that I want you to ask yourself over and over again because I want to prepare the soil of your heart that when you hear the scripture that you've heard over and over and over again that you would not check out. But try to find the missing piece of what you have been what you've been missing in the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach this morning. So we're going to jump in together. So it says, On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done 
And he took them and withdrew apart to the town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we, we, here, um, we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and five fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men, which actually means about 15 to 2,000 people uh, because women and children. Uh, For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they they did so and had them all sit down and taking the five five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to sit before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied, and what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of God. So let's pray. Lord, I pray, just as we've seen that the disciples had missed a key uh, aspect of what, it, what the gospel looks like and what the mission you call us into actually looks like and this, the measure of sacrifice it calls to. I pray that this morning, my God, we would not miss any of it. That whether some of us understand the sacrifice and understand the measure in which you have called us to give of ourselves and take up the cross, but have missed the power and authority that you give us to do it, that we may capture it. But if some of us actually are missing the true mystery of what it looks like for a king of kings and lord of lords, that God himself would come and die on a cross to save a people, that we would capture some of that mystery by understanding a life of sacrifice that comes by embracing the gospel this morning. I pray that these truths may hit us straight in the heart, my God. By your spirit we pray. Amen. So what we, what we see in this story is everything that we know. So I'm not going to dwell on the story, but I'm going to lift up some of these truths that it's, we know it. So just now, what we need to do is actually look at the truths. And so my first point is actually these guys were sent to serve beyond their means. They were sent to serve beyond their means. The first thing you see is actually these guys are coming back. They are tired. These guys have been on a mission. They haven't slept in their own beds for a very long time. They have not taken change of clothes. They have not taken any luxuries. They have only lived in the hospitality of those who have allowed them to actually minister amongst them and actually live with them. I don't know if you've ever taken time to go away from home. You always miss your bed. You always miss the familiarity of your space. So you can, re- you can realize that actually these guys have gone away only to come back to what? To more service? <laughs> because actually as, as they were about to go rest with Jesus, it tells us they were actually sent to serve, but they come back and are interrupted to serve again. They didn't come back to rest. So there's a real measure of sacrifice for these guys because now there's a whole crowd that did not allow them solitude with Jesus in a desolate place, but these guys actually followed and the thing that gets me is actually these guys took a boat, but the rest of them, these guys, the crowd, actually walked all the way. 
That's how, that's how much these guys wanted to see Jesus. So the invitation to follow is not an easy one, friends. Paul talk, I mean, Tom talked about, uh, about this invitation that Jesus calls us into. But it's not an easy one. In fact, we're called often to discomfort. We are called often to sacrifice. We're called often to actually lay down our lives. And in fact, Jesus, through this moment, is actually enacting that very thing for himself. But also, he's just dragging his disciples right into it. The inconvenience of being, being a sent one is that sometimes you are sent beyond your means. You are sent beyond your means to actually carry on with energy. As I said, these guys are tired. I don't know how you are when you are tired, but this state is one that, when, when I need, one that I know I need to deal with in my own lives. When I'm tired, I know I'm, I'm sluggish, I'm irritable. Sometimes I'm immovable because I don't want to go or do anything. Sometimes I'm actually not so loving. Ask Khale, she knows. Sometimes I have no capacity to think or make decisions at the time because I'm just spent. Imagine a cellular like that. Well, some of you have experienced them. It's not a nice cellular. It's not the happy, jubilant cellular that you would know. But actually, these guys, you can imagine, in their state of tiredness, they probably were like that. And then you're meant to serve 5,000 people. Actually, as I said, 20,000 people, most likely. <laughs> Come on. If any of you are introverts at that point, like, <laughs> you are God, you are dead. But I'm saying, friends, that the same mission, the same kind of uh, sacrifice that these guys, these guys were making, Jesus calls you and I to the same. When last week did you allow yourself to be inconvenienced for the sake of another? When last did you exhibit something of Jesus Christ in laying your life down to serve somebody else? When last did you do it without grumbling? <laughs> you see, these guys don't only have tiredness. They also don't have enough resources. Jesus is asking the guy, Peter's like, Chief, listen, see, broke, 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 broke. We've got nothing. In fact, what we have, we won't even be able to buy what we need. Look, there's five loaves, there's two feet. Come on, Jesus, send these people away. We do not have the resources that we need to care for others. One of the things that you, we discovered very soon as, much as, as we started to plant the church is actually the needs are overwhelming. In fact, the needs for ourselves to venture into ministry itself is overwhelming. What Jesus calls us into is, is, is tough because then it's like, okay, like we realize that we are on mission, but we need money to make things happen. But how do, how do we, where do we get money from? So we have to prayerfully uh, ask God. We have to prayerfully ask others. We have to patanisa together to make things happen. So there is a measure of sacrifice that comes with this. And at times we're called to a mission that doesn't have, where we don't have the necessary resources to supply for it. People are in need. And if we are truly people of compassion, we are moved by their need. 
and at times we're not even able to meet it. One of the hardest things for me is when people are really in need of work, for instance, and you're just like, I wish I was business owner because then I'd, you were awesome. I want to hire you. <laughs> it's like, but I don't have those means. What do I do? It's like I've come to the end of myself. And in fact, similarly, these guys have come to the end of themselves. Thirdly, these guys don't have the necessary power, it seems. Remember, they were commissioned and given authority and power to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to bring good news to anyone who would hear it. But somehow these guys have dialed that down back. Now, I can't argue and say it's that they, didn't, they weren't able to actually do what Jesus did because they were able to do some of the miracles, miraculous stuff that Jesus did before. But it doesn't seem like they were able to apply the power. Or perhaps is it something else? Sometimes the needs of others can overwhelm our resources, even worse, overwhelm our faith. I think here it's an action of lack of faith that these guys are not able to say, okay, people are here, let's do this. So despite the fact that we have seen and done great miracles of provision for the healing and for deliverance of people, we run out of faith. But Jesus continues to teach them. And this is how he does it, through demonstration. Jesus actually teaches them where to point their eyes and hearts. Where to point their eyes and hearts as they teach and serve people. The power of looking up to our Father in heaven who supplies all our needs is the thing that we need. In a, in a mission where it feels like it overwhelms our resources and our ability. And Jesus actually, through his actions, is showing something. He's patterning something for them. That actually, when we've come to the end of ourselves, friends, it is by his power and not our own that we're able to do much. It is by his power and not our own. And I think the issue as well is that thing of, because these guys also lean less towards the side of, of what Jesus is trying to show them, right? This idea of being a compassionate person in, in, in coming into in ministry. And actually also the objective, not being, look at my power, therefore I'm awesome. As we've seen, they kind of mental state. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9-12, we also see another aspect of why God does what he does. Is that for the ministry of, of this service, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. In this case, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians about a gift that he had talked to them about for the sake of another church. But he's actually saying something about service and supplying others with their needs. It says actually what it does, it unlocks this overflowing thanksgiving towards God. So firstly, we see that actually his power and his strength is lifted up, so it's about God. Secondly, we see that actually us doing and meeting the needs of others leads to overflowing thanksgiving to God. So the present need, albeit there is an alternative, in fact, there is an alternative, Peter pointed it out. Jesus, listen, 
we can send these guys out. And these people can go find lodging in town and find something to eat. There's an alternative. But Jesus like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to do something else. Because actually he wants to increase the thanksgiving to God. So there's this thing of we showcase the delight of God to supply our needs when we act in such great faith. And the delight to do it through us as we trust him to meet those needs. He does so exceedingly and abundantly than you and I can think and imagine. And this increases the glory of God on the earth. And that our thanksgiving multiplies to others. I don't know how, how you experience this, but when you've done something for someone and they're just filled with joy inexpressible, it, it properly melts my heart. I can't even deal when I see someone so excited by, you thought about me? How much more when that you thought about me is matched with a miraculous act that points to nobody else but God? How many more thanks does that person give to God? How much more glory does it give to the one who supplies what we need? So I love First Peter 4 verse 11, and how it kind of brings these two things together, his strength and his glory, but also the thanks, his strength given to us and the power to be able to do, but also his glory and his thanksgiving given to him. So in verse 11, it says, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus, to him belong glory, dominion forever and ever. Will you say amen with me? So that's the first thing that we see. We see that actually these guys were overwhelmed because they were sent to serve beyond their means. But Jesus is demonstrating something to them to say, hey, yes, you are stretched very thin and you are unable, but through my power, you are able to. But actually not just for your glory or for your, for your popularity or for your fame, as we see, people are now looking and saying, hey, who are these people? Uh, who are they linked to? There's questions around them. But he's actually saying, no, 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 no. It's actually there to point to me. So it's not about your inability. It's about his strength. It's not about what you are doing and your popularity. It's about his glory and his fame and the increase of thanksgiving to his name. And I hope you see there, friends, also the power that Jesus puts or the emphasis of the power that he puts on oh, the emphasis that he puts on prayer as a source of power. He, he, he takes time to lift his gazes up to the Father. So let it be a lesson to us to be people who, when we are overwhelmed, we do what Jesus did. And when situations look hopeless, we actually think otherwise. We think, shucks, this is an opportunity for the glory of God. I will act in faith instead. And so, 
Our second point is that actually we are sent to pattern our Savior. We are sent to pattern our Savior. Although we are sent beyond our own means, we are, we are sent yet still. <laughs> it doesn't change our, our, our call here. Our call is clear. Our mandate is clear. We are sent. So, okay, why, why did you force to plant, plant a church if you felt like it was hard? Why do you guys continue to, 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 to preach the gospel although people reject it? Why, do you guys, why are you guys not even discouraged when you feel like actually there's no movement? Because we are sent nonetheless. And we are sent to pattern our Savior. So God does something. He teaches them to be people who are hopeful so that they can be bringers of hope. So God uses us in extraordinary and supernatural ways, as we saw. But he also uses us in very ordinary ways. And I think the problem there at times, and I, I love this story because if you imagine the setting, it's not like bread was just like churning out like a factory, like where the 5,000 the 5, plus people would have actually seen how this miracle is actually being performed. You can imagine the disciples are the only ones marveling because they're the ones delivering the bread. They're like, where do you keep on getting these loaves, bruh? The people who are just chilling, waiting for bread, are just like, oh, no, just uh, somebody's probably buying bread, bringing it through. We're just going to sit and chill and eat. It's so mundane for them. It's like, we eat every day. <laughs> There's nothing going on actually for them. So there's a sense in which Jesus is doing something extraordinary, miraculous in front of their eyes. They're not unfamiliar with that themselves, but they're probably like mind-boggled. He's done it with wine before. <laughs> they're like, wait, he's doing it with bread now. This guy, what's wrong, you know? But for the people there, it's like, it's normal. So actually, it's in ordinary ways that Jesus is actually acting. But he's actually making them far more hopeful. This was a spectacle, I believe, more so for the disciples than it was for the, for the masses. It was for them to revive their sense of what God can do. Guys, you've seen amazing things. How come are you so apathetic in your faith right now? How come are you so hopeless when you guys are the bringers of hope? So sometimes it takes Jesus having a team talk with you. I know I've had plenty of those where it's just like, but no, God, like it's tough. I don't want to do this. And it's like, Psst, come here, bud. Put my arm around you. Remember what I've done for you? Remember where you have been? Remember the measure of need that you had? Who met it? So I feel like there's a team talk moment from Jesus to his disciples here. Again, teaching them to be what he's called them to be. The bringers of hope. He's bringing back hope to the bringers of hope. So as I said, that actually the miracle in itself was not like manna raining down from heaven for all to see. But I love the fact that it's really, this is also simple as our daily situation. It's a man 
praying to bless what's in front of him. But he's expectant that it would satisfy those he shares it with. Do you hear that? It's you and I at our dinner table praying for what's in front of us. But with our friends who are around us, we're hoping that it would bless them. I just want to say that actually it's not only in the grand and the miraculous that God is at work in showcasing hope. It's around our dinner tables as well. It's around the day-to-day living with one another. It's around hearing a need from somebody else and saying, Shucks, do I have the ability to help? Or better yet, Lord, I don't have, but dare I try something because I have faith in him so that I would pattern him to be a bringer of hope. And I love that actually time and time again, God continues to provide. So what's weird is, I remember last year we were doing uh, our budget and we just had the sense that actually we wanted to share a meal with with anyone who'd be in our home. It's the hardest thing to do. (laughs) It's the hardest thing to do. So we decided to kind of boil it down to our community group. Whenever we have community group, we have food. It's, it's like personal conviction. But our thing for us wasn't because we have the budget and the means for it. In fact, oftentimes we're like, oh, can we do it this week? And it's like, okay, we're going to do it. Part of it is because actually we want anyone who comes across us to feel blessed, to feel fed, to feel loved. And I feel like food brings comfort that, <laughs> that some other things don't. <laughs> And so when you're talking about your problems around food, sometimes it's just like, yeah, it's rough, but you know. <laughs> and again, we're a church that loves eating. Uh, if you were here last week, you would have known that we were eating again. But I do want to say, guys, don't overcomplicate the situation. Now, I don't know. I don't have a statistic board of how many people actually felt blessed by our meals. But because we pray that actually we would bless people, my hope is people have been blessed. And in fact, I believe and expect that that's the case. And I think it's in many other small things that we do that people come to be blessed. Simply because we would dare to hope and dare to, to have faith and dare to actually bring hope in some way. It's a silly example, but I feel like it's in the small things that we build these habits that allow us to be a faithful per, per people. I think it was a couple of months ago when uh, Tom and Nguazi actually were going through a f- tough financial struggle. I didn't ask them to talk about this, but they'll have to deal with it. Um, but I remember Tom wanting to give someone money because they were in need. And I was like, but you were in need. And he was like, yeah, but it's like a defiant faith thing. I'm just doing it because I feel like, you know, I have faith that actually this would help that person. Never mind me. And I'm like, man, <laughs> like that heart, right? And that's the, that's the thing that I'm saying is actually we need to not think about the means that, that are not there, but think about the faith that we can partake in something of, of significance in bringing hope to others. 
So Galatians 3, chapter, verse 5 says, Does he who the Spirit... Ah, does he who gives the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So that question there is a question for us to actually answer it without any doubt that actually it's through faith that you and I continue to act. It's not so much the works of the law, but it's actually the power of the Spirit enabling us not only to do the miraculous, but to also do the mundane, do the ordinary, do the faith, uh, faith-warranting stuff of day-to-day living and hope-giving to others. So the theme right through, remember when we looked at our image, is actually take up your cross through chapter 9. And I think Jesus does something with the bread that he does two other times in the scriptures. There was a moment where Jesus took bread. There was a moment where Jesus blessed bread. There was a moment where Jesus broke bread. And there was a moment where Jesus gave bread. And it's very important that you and I get that actually the Bible never makes a mistake. It doesn't pattern things over and over again for fun. It does so because it is emphasizing something very, very awesome. So there's a sense in which this miracle that Jesus is doing right now is exemplifying something he was going to institute past his taking up of the cross, his dying on the cross for our sins and for our sake. He is rising from the dead post him having instituted the, uh, the Last Supper and in fact exemplifies the same thing right after he rose from the dead. Jesus took the bread. He looked up to his Father in faith. He broke the bread and in fact he gave the bread. And there's this amazing symbol in that actually 5,000 in fact, 20,000 people would have been fed through five loaves and two fish. Isn't it wonderful that actually one man would die on the cross and the shedding of his blood and the breaking of his body, which symbolizes the bread that we often take when we take communion, symbolizes that same body. That that body <laughs> would be enough, not for you, not for the person next to you, not just for me, not just for this church, but for the whole world. So there's something that Jesus is doing. He's imaging something profound when he's actually doing this miracle. I hope that you don't see this miracle the same anymore. It's not just, I mean, it's amazing that he fed this many people, but it's even more amazing that he died on the cross for the entire world. And so this radical sacrifice that he's trying to beat into his disciples, miracle after miracle, example after example, Jesus himself embodies. I don't know if you remember the institution of the Last Supper. He did the same. He took bread. He blessed the bread. He broke it. And he gave it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take it in remembrance of me. Remembering what? These guys would have had flashbacks of him doing this again and again and again. Jesus just keeps on doing this thing. And in fact, I don't even want to land on that passage. I want to land on the passage where we see another instance where Jesus does this. So in Luke chapter 24, later, 
there's a moment where Jesus has just been resurrected and these two men are walking around and actually they're moping. They are just distraught by the fact that Jesus had died and they had hoped in him, but so many dramatic events happened, but actually they're walking with Jesus and they're telling him all these things. They don't even know that it's Jesus. Eventually, <laughs> eventually they get to the house without recognizing Jesus. And there's a moment in Luke Chapter 24, verse 30, where it says, When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and gave it to them. And it speaks about how they, the eyes of their hearts were opened. The eyes of their hearts were opened. You see, the miracle of the breaking of the bread for the 5,000 was already a miracle. But as I said, it points to a bigger miracle, the bigger breaking of the bread. But even more so, it's much bigger when you and I actually embrace it. And these guys, although they had believed in Jesus and found themselves doubting the truth of what Jesus said he was going to do, he was going to give his body and he was going to rise again on the third, all of a sudden their eyes were open to the truth that that breaking of the bread, that that dying on the cross, that that rising from the dead to show victory over their sin was finally true and their eyes were open. So you and I need not have any less hope given that we know this truth. The miracle of a Savior who sacrifices to give us not what we need just for today, but to give us a bread that's beyond bread.